0: Well today obviously is a fifth Sunday and I'm, I'm actually stoked to have our youngest kids up here. Normally kids go to kids church if they're like an elementary age or under and we get to have you here today. And so what I thought would be cool is we've been going through this sermon series in this book of the Bible, Matthew, It's in this passage called the Sermon on the Mount, and I thought what I would do is just give us a quick overview of that because you're joining us here and I'm going to be talking mid-stride, and I I wanted to give you an opportunity to to get with what we're doing. So I'm preaching through this thing called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus preached it on a hill. I mean, if it's... Kind of not a real mountain, but it's kind of a big hill, and that's where he preached it. So it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's really important that you know one thing about the Sermon on the Mount. So kids, are you ready? Are you listening? This is the one thing you really need to know about the Sermon. It's good news. Whatever you read in the Sermon on the Mount, you have to know it's good news. Why is it good news? Because the teachings of Jesus— in the Sermon on the Mount are intended to help people, like you and me, live life to the fullest. It's meant to help us be who we're created to be, which the Bible says is the image bearers of God, that every human being is made in God's image. So Jesus preaches this sermon from the top of a hill called the Sermon on the Mount to help us be everything God created us to be. And tonight, we find ourselves in the middle of Matthew chapter 5, a section of Jesus' good news sermon. And in this chapter, there are six little sections that God gives us to help people flourish. Six separate little sections of good news to help us to flourish. And each of these sections has three parts. Now, I'm going to I'm going to sum up what these three parts is because we're going to be sleuths tonight and we're going to look for these three parts, okay? So the first part is this, and Stella's going to help us by putting it on the on the screen. The first part is that Jesus usually starts his six sections with you've heard that it was said or you've heard that the ancients were told or it was said, so he names something that's happened before. And I like to call this the, that sounds familiar, section. So can everyone say that sounds familiar. Yeah, a little inflection like I say it. That sounds familiar. Thank you. Yeah, so that's the first section. Okay, that sounds familiar. Um, In this part, Jesus, his audience, is expected to think, I've heard that before. That sounds familiar. And in this section, Jesus is reminding us of a loving boundary that God has at some point in time given his people so that they can flourish. So here's an example from Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. And we would say, that sounds familiar, Yeah, of course, that sounds familiar. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the Bible. That sounds familiar. There's a second section, and Stella's going to put that up there as well. So after the that-sounds-familiar section, Jesus usually says something like, but I say to you. And in this section, uh, Jesus wants his audience to think, wait, what? Can you guys say it like that? Wait, what? That's crazy talk. He's trying to get our attention by saying something shocking, Um, to bring us fresh perspective on God's desire to have us flourish in our lives. So remember the part where the familiar part, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder because it's not good to kill people, duh, right? Okay, and then Jesus says, but I say to you, not like that, I'm sure, but I say to you, everyone who harbors anger toward another person shall be guilty before before the court. Like if you're angry with someone and you stoke that anger towards them, Jesus says you're guilty before the court. Wait what? Wait, what? Totally. That what have you ever gone to court for being angry before? No, me neither. That's a kind of whoa, what is Jesus saying? That's totally got my intention. And then the third section in each of these little pieces that talk about human flourishing is the oh, right, section. So Stella's going to put that, yeah. Oh, right, I get it. Can you say that? Oh, right, I get it. Oh, right. So with the, 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 the teaching about murder, for example, uh, that sounds familiar. Don't murder. That's like in the Ten Commandments and a lot of other places in the Bible. But then there's the, wait, what? Harboring anger towards another person is is just as destructive as murder, what? We don't really go to jail for being angry, but you've got my attention, Jesus. Oh, right. Murder is condemned because it destroys a person made in God's image. But harboring anger and resentment and hatred towards another person is also like murdering them. It's also cutting them down. It's also making them less than a human being. I get it. Jesus is calling us to be the kinds of people who are peacemakers, who work towards making up with our friends when we're angry, saying I'm sorry to our kids or to our parents or to our siblings or to our neighbors or our friends, rather than harboring anger at them. I get it. That's the third section, okay? Does that make some sense? I think it might help us, though, right, kids, to like, just bring this to a little more contemporary example. So what I'm about to say is not from Jesus, but okay, we're just going to make a point here, okay? Um, So many of you will go door to door tonight dressed in your amazing costumes, and what it is you're looking for at these doors? Candy. Yes, we're looking for candy. Candy is awesome, right? What is awesome about candy? Sweet. Lou? Lou? You are blowing my mind. We have sugar receptors we're we're born with. You're saying, and that triggers that. It's almost like a drug, isn't it? Okay, so dopamine. (laughs) Lucy, you're going somewhere. Okay, so (laughs) yes, there's dopamine triggers. There is. It just was sweet. It Luke. You have your hand up so nicely. What do you like about candy? They're all different. Candy's kind of fun, isn't it? Like it's cousins, different colors and shapes and sizes. And Olivia, I'll let you be the last one. What do you love about candy? Gives you something to chew on, no doubt in my mind. Yes. So candy's pretty darn great. It tastes good. It's a fun treat. It's, uh, you might say it's a gift from God. At least the taste buds and the dopamine receptors, I mean, those are all things that God gives us for pleasure, right? Now, what happens, at least our parents say, what happens if we eat too much candy, right? Yeah, some bad stuff can happen. Let's say, yeah, what do we got, Mal? Um, you can get sick. You can totally. I'm very sick. Very sick. So you can get sort of sick, like like my kids have had the red vine throw-ups before, but um, you can get really sick, like long-term, like there's a fancy word called diabetes, ask your parents about it, not cool. Uh, You can get rotten teeth, you can get all kinds of crazy long-term sickness if you eat this good thing too much and too often, right? So you can be a flourishing human being and eat a little bit of candy a little bit of the time, but you can't flourish if you eat too much candy too much of the time. Okay, you with me? So let's say that God in his love for us made a healthy boundary that said something like this, and I'll say it in like bible language, right? You shall not eat more than three pieces of candy a day, and whoever eats more than three pieces of candy a day shall have their candy put on the highest shelf for a whole month. Okay, so like, let's say that God gave us that commandment, as a boundary to help us flourish. He's not saying no candy. He gave us taste buds and he invented the brains that makes these great candies. But too much is not a good thing, right? So it starts off as this boundary that helps us to live as healthy people. We know because God loves us that he gave us, he gave us this boundary out of love. But now watch what happens with laws like this. Over time, because human beings tend to get things weird in our minds, we tend to forget that God gives us boundaries out of love and we begin to, to falsely think that God wants us to follow the rules so that we can please him. Okay? And once we lose focus, we try and have uh, on the boundaries, on why we have the boundaries, we get focused on how we can keep the laws but still have our own way too. So let's look at the candy boundary again. You shall not eat more than three pieces of candy in a day, and whoever does shall lose the rest of their candy for a month. Now at some point, if people were to lose kind of the intent of that law, they might just think of all the ways that they could get around that law with what lawyers called a technicality. So they might consider... What is a piece of candy? So let's look in my bag here. Would you all agree that if I've got three pieces of candy I could eat today, that this Starburst, which all kids know has two little pieces in there, that this is one piece of candy, right? That's one piece. And that this, this little fun-sized Snickers is one piece of candy. And that this little package of Swedish fish, I think there's about four in there, five if you're lucky, that's one piece of candy, right? Okay, so here's my three pieces of candy. But if I was a candy lawyer, I might do something like this. Well, if that's a piece of candy, then that's a piece of candy, right? And if that's one piece of candy and there's multiple fish in it, then this pound of sweetest fish is in one package. That's got to be one piece of candy, Anybody else that want to go with me on that? Yeah. Yeah. So you could totally have those big pieces of candy. You could have three of those and say, I kept the law, but would you be very healthy? Probably not. Remember, The boundary, the law is given to help us thrive and to be fully alive. It isn't there to make God happy. So you saying, I kept the law, that doesn't matter. What matters to God is that you're a healthy human being because he loves you to death. He loves you so much. Now let's say Jesus were to come because we got all this screwed up and we started even eating three packs of these a day and we were all sick. And so he comes into our world, God in the flesh, and he's calling us back to him. He might say, he might start with the, that sounds familiar section, right? So let's try it. You shall not eat more than three pieces of candy a day and whoever does shall lose their candy for a month. That sounds familiar. But then Jesus might move into the second section. But I say to you that anyone who eats an unhealthy amount of candy will rot their teeth out and become horribly sick. If your tongue, filled with sweet craving taste buds, causes you to eat too much candy, yank it out and throw it from you. For it would be better for you to lose your tongue than for your whole body to get diabetes wait, what? That's crazy talk. But you've got my attention. You've got my attention. We really don't pull our tongues out, but this shocking statement makes me think. And then we move into the third section. Oh, right. Oh, right. The intent of the law is not trying to see what I can get away with, but trusting that God has my best in mind for human flourishing. Does that make sense? Stella, yeah, Stella's got all three up there now. So, Here's the three steps of these sections. That sounds familiar. Wait, what? You guys do that. It sounds really cool when you do it. Yeah. Oh, right. All right. Now we're going to dive into an actual passage of Jesus, just to reiterate, the candy thing is not from the Bible. Um, and we're going to look at the text for today, which is Matthew 5, 33 through 37. And it goes like this. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shouldn't make false vows, but you should fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, because that's the footstool of his feet, nor on Jerusalem, For that is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath even on your own head. Because you, frankly, can't make one hair white or black except for hair coloring and wigs. That's not in the Bible either, sorry. (laughs) But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond just the simple yes and no is of the evil one. You've heard that it was said, You shall not make false vows, but should fulfill your vows to the Lord. What would we say to that? That sounds familiar. Yeah, I've heard things like that before in Scripture, because God, speaking through Moses and various prophets, Um, It's just standard biblical teaching. When you make vows or oaths before God, you're supposed to keep them. And when you make promises to another person that sort of invokes God's name, you should keep your word in the time period when jesus was on that hill preaching this sermon the religious leaders were also part of the legal system so you know like in our world you've got pastor chris and then you have other people who are called lawyers or judges or you know but in that world they were kind of the same person a lot of the times and these people um they they interpreted the law of the bible to kind of suit them and so um They begin to twist this oath-taking law. For example, they said swearing an oath by God, you know, we probably shouldn't do that because it's just, I don't know that we should say God's name. So here's what we'll do. We'll swear by heaven instead. Uh, And and that way we'll avoid just saying God's name altogether. But we'll still get the seriousness of our point across. Or, Or people would say, You know what? Let's not swear by God or the temple. Let's swear by Jerusalem. It's a really important city that has the temple in it. And we'll just swear by Jerusalem, and that will be kind of the, we'll know that this is a serious arrangement that we're making. And you get the picture. All of this is done with supposed reverence, but it also leaves a loophole. Because sometimes people would break their oaths, but then they could argue, well, I didn't really swear to God. See, I swore to Jerusalem. And it's not the same thing. And so you can't really hold me to it. Or I didn't swear by God. I swore to the altar on the temple. And that's clearly not the same as swearing to God. And so I can weasel out of this oath that I'm breaking. And so Jesus comes in and he says, hey, just don't make an oath at all. Don't you see that swearing by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or the hairs on your head? It's all swearing to God anyway because God made everything and God rules over the world and God is in all places at all times and you are always in God's presence. Wait, what? Make no oath at all? Come on, Jesus. What do you mean I can't make oaths anymore? What do you mean we can't have promises anymore? How would we get married if we don't make vows? How could we buy a house if we didn't sign a contract that says, I pledge to pay this money back? How would we serve in government service or get a passport or become a citizen of a different country or do business if we didn't make promises and sign contracts and make basically oaths with each other? What about vows of ordination for ministers? And what about the oaths that God has made multiple times in scripture? Wait, what? Make no oaths. Are you asking us to be naive, Jesus? Are we supposed to just say yes and no when we're signing our life away, when we're trusting someone that's buying something or marrying somebody? I mean, what? That's, what? You've got our attention, Jesus. So what is it that we're supposed to hear? Oh, right. Right. People are made in God's image. And when we break our oaths with people, we are in essence breaking our word with God. When we don't tell the truth, we damage relationships with people who bear God's image. And that is an insult to God himself. And it works against human flourishing. If you've ever had someone break their word with you, it does more than just make you mad. It takes a little piece of yourself out, a little piece of your humanity, a little piece of you becomes more jaded and more defensive and more callous if we're not careful, right? Another way to read what Jesus is getting at is that the ethic behind the law uh, or, or to get at the, the practice behind oath-taking, Jesus may or may not be dead set on never making an oath, but he is definitely saying, let your yes just be yes, and you're no, just be no. That is, be the kind of person that has integrity. Be a person who does what they says they will do, who doesn't do what they say they won't do. Be a person who doesn't need an oath or a promise to guarantee their word. See, the foundational problem with oaths, I think, is that it sets up a two-tiered reality for people. And what I mean by that is that there's the oath-taking side of us where we do really serious things. Like I mentioned before, like when you get married, it's good to take an oath. Uh, Or, you know, when you sign a contract. Or when you have a really serious thing going on with somebody and you say, I swear or I promise I'll be there. But what happens when you're not in that mode? Does that mean that... The other times, like the regular times in your life, you can just say things and not follow through. You see how it's, it, it creates almost like two worlds for, for us. And what Jesus is saying is bring those worlds into alignment so that you don't have to say things like, I promise or I swear. They'll just know that you're the kind of person that does what you say, and you won't need to say, well, actually, truthfully, right? Even though I do that as a tick more than, it's <laughs> right? It may seem pretty obvious, but let me just say it out loud. Like, we as human beings, as human beings, we kind of have a lying problem. When you think about all the systems in our world around truth-telling, it tells us that we have a problem. Have you ever applied for, like, a, a serious job where you weren't required to have references or a background check? You know what I mean? Like, why do we need that stuff? Because people don't tell the truth. They just don't. It's just factual. So, like, you have to you have to check up on people. Um, Why do we call for oaths in court? (laughs) Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth? You know, why why do we do that? Because people lie. We just do. We we want to cover our tracks. We want to help people out. We just aren't good at this. Why do some people find it necessary to qualify a statement with "I promise"? I promise. Because probably they haven't shown themselves trustworthy in other areas. And that I promise I'll be back by whenever, kids. (laughs) It's because you weren't back by that time, the last time you didn't promise. And it begs the question to me, and I think this is the, the crux of it, is why? Why do we feel like we need to promise our oath? Or why do we lie? I think all distortions of truth at their essence reveal really our great insecurity i i want to i want to force that home at the core i don't think it's because we're all just really bad people i think it's because we're really insecure people and we live in a sort of constant doubt if we're honest a constant doubt that we're truly deeply at our core loved by god and that makes us live in sort of a constant state of competition. We fear deep down, I wonder, and this is some homework you can do on your own, you can test yourself, you can sit with yourself a little bit and see if this might be true. But I think there's a foundational fear when we don't trust that God has our best interests in mind, we think that we've got to have our best interest in mind. Because in the end, we think no one else is really looking out for us, at least in the way we want to be looked out for. So we say the right things to advance our ideas and our positions and our status, and we don't show certain sides of ourselves so that people will like us because we're afraid that they won't. And sometimes they won't. But this teaching of Jesus is not primarily about behavior. It's not telling us to do or not do certain things at its core. It's good news. And so I want you to hear not so much Jesus saying, don't lie, as Jesus saying, you don't have to lie anymore. You don't have to lie anymore. We don't have to lie because of an oath, because of a promise that God made to us. And it's an oath that the prophets talked about, that one day God himself will come with this rescue plan of forgiveness and life and new hope, And the early church was convinced that that oath of God was fulfilled in the person of Jesus the Christ. And here's just an example. They're all over uh, Paul's letters, but here's his letter to Titus, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, "...a bondservant of of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of the chosen of God and the knowledge of truth, which is according to godliness." In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long years ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. God, who cannot lie, promised, and this promise has come to pass in Christ. So hear the good news. We are now under the fulfillment of God's oath to us. Through the work of Jesus, we can have freedom from guilt and shame, freedom from the kinds of uh, fears that tempt us to lie. We can be the sorts of people with integrity so that we can reflect God's trustworthy character back into the world. Our yes can mean yes, our no can mean no, because God has been faithful to his promise. To us Father, thank you so much for um, for promising to us that you despite our character, despite our behavior that you would make a way for us to be free from gain, uh, guilt and shame and I pray that this news that is declared that it is um, fulfilled, it is completed in Christ, that we would live into it, that we would walk into that reality in faith.